when you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Welcome to another episode of From Hostage to Hero. I'm your host, Sari Delamont, and today we have a very special guest, Joshua Cohen from Fat Pencil Studio. Welcome, Joshua. Hey, Sari. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So in our podcast, we talk about, you know, all the mindset shifts that lawyers have to make. We talk about trial tips. And so it's really a combination of kind of coaching and consulting. And so today's podcast is a little bit more in the consulty realm in terms of some tools that our attorneys can use. And in particular, we're going to be talking about visuals and visual communication and how important that is. So before we kind of get into some of the yummy stuff we're going to be talking about today, tell me a little bit about Fat Pencil Studio, you know, what you do, who you work with, what types of um, visuals you provide. Sure. So Fat Pencil Studio is a team of uh, five designers based in Portland, Oregon. and Which we, is the best city ever. Hey, I love it. <laughs> uh, we create visual tools to help attorneys make a better case. Yeah. Yeah. And so how do you do that? Like what kind of visuals are we talking about? Are we talking about graphics? Are we talking about poster boards? What are we talking about in terms of the actual visuals themselves? You know, it varies a lot. We do uh, timelines, we do animation, we do poster boards. I think the the thing that you'll see most of uh, when you look at our website and, and what people might think of us most for is 3D visualization. So if there's a scene of a car accident or, you know, a crime or something like that, we use tools to help visualize what did it look like and what can we learn from that as far as how we are going to understand and later tell the story of the case. Yeah. So I think visuals play a huge part of trial preparation and trial itself, of course, but I think there are a lot of misunderstandings about visuals and how they should be used and when you should start. What, what would you say the biggest misunderstanding trial attorneys have about visuals? I think the, the thing that pops into my mind first, because so many people talk to me about this when they're first hearing about what we do, is they say something like, this is, this is really good. It's interesting. I'll call you next time I have a trial. Absolutely. And uh, I guess there's two main problems with that. The first problem is, is, is kind of a, um, uh, you know, a practical problem. When you are preparing for trial, you say you're three or four weeks out, it's just a very difficult time to add new people to the team. Oh, There's that's so, much so time. huge. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, you know, I think in my mind, this is going to be hard for you to make a call to someone you haven't worked with before to add somebody three weeks from, from trial. Um, certainly, we do a lot of work uh, on, on deadline for trial, and we've done great work in just a week or two weeks. But... It's, it's not easy. So that's, that's and not a, optimal, right? right? So right. not only is it not easy for you, it's not, and I have the same thing. People call and they say, Hey, I, I'm going to trial. I need your help with an opening statement. I go, great. When's trial? And they go next week right. or, you know, two weeks from now. And I think what the hell? And every single one of my clients and probably your clients too, once they work with me, they go, Oh my God, I'm going to call you earlier right. next time. And we, we have the same experience. So that's, that's the first thing it's, it's practically speaking, it'd be better to start early. Uh, but the other reason, and I think it's, it's a bigger reason uh, in my mind, is, is more of a tactical reason. And that is because as an attorney, you're going to have to tell the story of your case hundreds of times, mm -hmm. if, not, you know, if not thousands, depending on the size of the case. And you might be thinking, well, I'm, I'm going to tell the story to a jury. And absolutely, you have to be prepared to do that. 
But before you ever do that, you're going to tell the story to so many other audiences. Mm. There's the, there's the, you know, you're going to have to talk to your client about it back and forth. You're going to have to talk to your staff and your collaborating attorneys. You'll have to, at some point, reach out to insurance or the other side to talk about the case. There are mediators, uh, judges. So there's all these different audiences you're going to have for the case. And having good visual tools makes you so much more effective at telling that story and why not have it at the beginning so you can get the most value out of it? Well, I think one of the things too, and you got you and I have known each other for years, and one of the things I thought was so great and about what you have said and and have are saying, um, and knowing this is part of what you do is that most attorneys a big misunderstanding they have about visuals is they feel like what they do is they put everything together and then they come to you and they go now put this on paper, uh, whether we mean paper or not, you know whatever right. it means, sure. put make this visual, which is kind of like you know they've baked the whole cake and then they put the frosting on the top, right? And what you're saying and what I think was so amazing about what you said about in terms of visuals and starting earlier is that visuals aren't the last thing that you do. They should be one of the first things you do because they not only help you communicate your story, but they help you figure out what the hell your story is in the first place. And I thought that was a huge insight. Talk to me a little bit about that. How do visuals help you figure out the story you want to tell? So we use a a process that I would call design thinking, which is very common in a design profession. And it involves uh, first understanding all the issues and then going through an ideation process or, you know, coming up with ideas for how to communicate uh, those issues. And then we create prototypes, you know, or or drafts. uh, And and ultimately we we revise and review and, um, you know, go back and iterate to get to the final, the final position where we feel like this is ready for, for prime time. That process is so helpful in understanding the details of the case. Mm-hmm. You might think you understand the case because it's similar to one you did before and there are these issues that went this way, but every case is unique and um, there's going to be things that you don't expect. Yeah. And you know, coming into it with a really, really good understanding of, of the, the details of the case and how you can um, tell that story in a way that's going to be beneficial for your client is huge in terms of your confidence and I know we've talked about this before. When you get calls from folks and, and you get started working on a voir dire opening statement, and then there's a realization between you and an attorney that there's details that would seem like they're pretty important that are not really clear. Yeah, yeah. And and it's just because you know that process of getting ready to present to a um, an audience that might not know the case inside and out forces you to confront that there are these, these things that you, you need to uh, make sure that are nailed down. Yeah. And you sometimes don't see those things until you start getting right. them visually uh, represented. And right. I know that so many times in when I'm working with clients and we've got the whiteboard out and we're like, I'm, where were they and how are they staying? Oh, and it just absolutely changes how I view the case. You know, they've told me an, a narrative overview. And then once they start showing me, instead of telling me now things snap into place and immediately I start to understand it better than I did before. And I think that's huge. And I think so many times with attorneys, they're so close to their case that they, they find what you and I do helpful because we're not attorneys and we are on the outside and we're the ones that ask the questions. Okay. How did it happen? Where did it go? That kind of thing. And they find that so beneficial, but I think what they're missing out on is the timing piece and that they do it too late. And for me, for example, part of the problem, I'm sure this is true with you is that they come to me thinking they've got all it together and they want to help me have me help them deliver it. In your case, they want to have you put it together visually. And then you and I look at the case and we go, well, wait a minute, you haven't thought about ABC and then we have to kind of start over. So it's just, that's an additional problem, I would think. You know, you don't want to start over at the end of the case. <laughs> that's right. Um, we, we 
often find that there's simple things you can do at the very beginning that is extremely useful, not only just for promoting understanding of the, the, the key issues in the case amongst your team you're collaborating with, but also for getting better information from witnesses, you know, deponents. Um, so if it's a map or a diagram or a chart, um, you know, having things that you can put in front of somebody and say, you know, mark where you were when you saw this, mm-hmm. as opposed to just saying, how far away were you? Yeah. People understand the distances so so poorly and also so differently mm-hmm. that it's not going to be helpful to, you know, if someone said that they were five feet or 10 feet, you really need to say, you know, here's the scene, show us where you were. That's going to be much more useful. In addition, using a, a visual tool with, with your own clients and witness and, and or, or, you know, friendly witnesses to kind of lock in a story mm. at the beginning makes it much less likely that you'll find you know shift or drift in that story later on. Yeah, that they won't waver while they're on the stand. Right. That's a great point. You know, it makes me think about when I'm working with trial attorneys on telling the story. Um, and, and when we're talking about story, you know, for me particularly, I'm talking about the opening um, part where, you know, the opening has several parts, but I'm talking about the actual story. You know, mm-hmm. I'm telling the story. And oftentimes I suggest they not use visuals during that time. They use visuals when they're teaching. They use visuals when they're undermining the defenses. They use te- uh, visuals when they're talking about the injury. When we're telling the story, I want them to be like, be with the jurors and be in the story and then use the visuals to support them later. Um, but I talk about how when you say things just like, you know, and then he fell 40 feet. I, I, you know, I think people don't know what that is. They can't visualize that in their minds. You have to say, and then he fell four stories or, you know, then, um, this happened on this date instead of saying, you know, and then seven days later, and then 14 days later, you say a week later or two weeks later. So it's the same kind of thing. The visuals take away the, the, um, what you're asking your jurors or your witnesses to have to do math or how to come up with a visual on their own. It gives it to them. So it it removes this extra piece of brain work that they have to do. And and jurors, for example, are already overloaded with information. A lot of, um, visuals in, in a big way kind of carry that burden for them. Right. And you mentioned jurors. I want to bring it back to this since this is the the title of the podcast, right? (laughs) Um, a lot of times, in, you know, in, when we get retained late in the case, an attorney would come to us and say, well, this is a, a complicated case, a lot of technical details. We just need to dumb it down and, uh, you know, make it uh, pretty for the jury. Mm-hmm. And am I, I'm, I'm kind of cringing in my mind because, you know what, jurors are not dumb. Mm-mm. They may not be um, the, your forensic experts or engineers or attorneys mm-hmm. necessarily, but they are most definitely not dumb. That's so true. And so what we really focus on more than making something that's, pretty. I mean, we want it to look good, obviously, mm-hmm. and be polished, but we, we, we focus on something that's going to be clear and something that, you know, the jurors will appreciate it as you use these tools to teach them how they need to understand this case. Yeah. And if you can do that, if you can define the, um, the way that the jurors should understand the case successfully, I won't say you win because there's a lot of factors that, you know, go into uh, winning a case, but I will say that you're, you're at an advantage. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I'll have attorneys say to me, well, you know, we're going to put all this work into these exhibits and then the other side is going to just use them. How can we prevent that? I think, well, you don't need to prevent the other side from using your tools because if they use your tools, they're essentially, you know, you, they're you've saying those are credible. Right. Absolutely. Exactly. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry about that. Attorneys so worry about things in many cases that they don't need to worry about. You know, the same thing comes up when we're talking about jury selection and, you know, what if they find out who that we think that juror's good and then they're going to, you know, I'm like, just 
don't worry about it. Just go in and find your people, right? The, the defense is going to do what they're going to do. It, it, it actually doesn't serve you to go and try to be on the offensive, right? right? So let them use the visuals. Let them know who you're good. And I will say one more thing just to go back to the point you were making before about using terms that jurors will understand. Mm -hmm. A big part of what we're trying to do with visual tools is create the context for understanding mm -hmm. the case. Yeah. And so if you have a vicinity map that shows all the area around where a particular collision happened, you might not need to you know, refer to every last little thing in that map, but just having it there is going to make it much easier for jurors to sort of say, okay, well now I can put this inside of my own mental map and know where it happened and now focus more intently on what you have to say about it. Exactly. I talk about how verbal information is the hardest information to process. Okay. And that when you are giving information verbally, it's like, you know, laying down a breadcrumb laying down a breadcrumb and suddenly you come to that third breadcrumb and it doesn't make sense. And it's kind of like tossing it off to your left. Right. And then the jurors go and chase after that. But in the meantime, you're going breadcrumb number four, breadcrumb number five. Right. And they're over here going, well, wait a minute right. that, and they'll be creating the visual story in their mind. And then you will actually then show them the story and it's totally different than cognitive distance happens and, and they're confused and the whole thing. So another point for getting the visuals out there early and often so that they have the correct visual so that can focus exactly what you said on the actual story that needs to be told, not right. on the details of, well, where were they and how are they standing? And, and by the way, this works just as well for all the people you're collaborating with on your own team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're out on your own practicing on your own, maybe it's not as important because you have all the details in your head. I would argue that it's still important to be, to help you be confident in, in, in knowing that you are being uh, a good understanding of those details. But as soon as you start adding other people to the team, cooperating attorneys, paralegals and whatnot, investigators, knowing that you are headed in the same direction on particular issues is huge. Yeah. Like we had a case, um, and, you know, it wasn't one that you think necessarily it would lend itself to visuals because it was more of a, you know, a consumer uh, class action type of a case, not mm -hmm. a, not a uh, you know, a, a 3D visualization of a crime scene or whatnot. But we, we did some work on illustrating a key concept in the case with one of the attorneys and, you know, got to the point where he felt like this is, this is good. And then he, he, he got his other cooperating attorneys on the phone to, uh, to do a, a, a group screen share review. And lo and behold, the other people on the uh, phone, didn't, they didn't really understand this issue the same way as he did. And it was mm. a, sort of a revelation. Hey, we need to be make sure we're going the same the same direction on this one. Absolutely. And so that was really useful in terms of you know getting everyone on the same page on on the team, and then effective with the um, the mediators and, and, and making their point uh, when they went to uh, present it to the other side. What's the number one thing that I constantly hear, and I'm sure you do too, from attorneys in terms of trial prep? I, time. I don't have time. I need more time. You know, I wish I had more time. How much time would you save if you guys were all on the same page from the very beginning and not scrambling around trying to make sure that everybody understands the same details in the same way? So there's another way that visuals help you. So let's talk about when should they start then? If we're saying they're starting too late, what's the optimal time to start? I mean, I've started visuals for demand letters or for, you know, settlement offers mm -hmm. at the very beginning of the case. Mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting that we dump $50,000 into a fancy animation on day one. Right. Because that would be, you know, the wrong level of detail for the wrong time in the case. Mm -hmm. But there's going to be some tools that will be helpful at the beginning. And also having a visual expert on the team is going to open your eyes to things you might not have thought of. Things, you know, ways to you know talk about the issues in the case that you might not have known were possible, and will make you more effective. 
and, and hopefully eliminate some of those meetings or misunderstandings that would have been, um, you know, dedicated to damage control because something you know didn't go the way you thought it should. That's great. And same, same with me. People come back and they go, oh, I'm going to come now before depositions next time. Cause now I'm going to know what to ask and I'm not going to, I'm going to know how to use this in focus groups. And so same thing. That's wonderful. So let's, we, we've just been like geeking out on, on visuals. So what we don't want to do is suggest to our attorney uh, listeners that more is better, right? Let's just shove as many visuals as we can in front of the jury or anyone else. I was particularly speaking to the jury now because visuals are the greatest thing ever. So I want to hear from a visuals guy. Is more better? Uh, no. Okay. I'm so glad that you said that. Talk to me about that. Yeah, There's, there's a lot of ways that you can look at this. I mean, a really common way I see uh, people having difficult uh, issue with, with more is in timelines. Let's mm. say you want to make a timeline for mm -hmm. a case. Well, you've got a spreadsheet uh, that you build up of, you know, 50 or 60 events that are, you know, important in some way to the case. And that can be, you know, useful for investigation purposes. And then let's put it on, on, a, on a screen so we can get them out there in front of the jury. No, you know, you need to edit. And people Absolutely. sometimes ask me, you know, what's the best timeline software you could use? Well, my personal preference at the beginning is whiteboard, tape, sticky note. Mm, right? Love it. You know, then, then you can write out, you know, and, you, and the sticky notes only so big, so it limits how much you can write about each event. You, you know, you can categorize by color. You can move them around. I'm doing a, a workshop on this uh, at a law firm next week. And it's, you know, it's, it's really helpful uh, as a way to, you know, work early in a case to uh, limit your story down to the things that are absolutely critical to your audience. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times in the opening when we go into the damages section and then they went and they saw this doctor and this is what the doctor said. And then they went back to that doctor two weeks later and this is what the doctor said. And then they went over to this doctor and that's all in a timeline. I'm like, Oh Lord, help us. This is not essential. And even some of the cool visuals that are like super cool. I make my, <laughs> my clients, uh, defend them to me. I, mean, I remember we were the night before trial, um, with a particular client and he's like, Oh, cool. Look at this visual we're going to use an opening tomorrow. And I said, why are you using it? And he's like, because it's cool. cool. Yeah, and don't... I'm like, no, you, you, this is not, we're not using it. Cause right. when you put something, I I'd see if you agree with me on this, when you put something on a visual, you make it important. And if you make everything important, then nothing's important. Right. So that's the other side of the, you know, what's too much. Mm -hmm. You don't want to do something because it's cool. You want to do it because it's clear, number one. Mm -hmm. And number two, because it, it is directly building up the narrative that you need to tell this audience. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the question that I often will ask people at the beginning of the case is what, you know, what do you need to tell in your story to be successful? Mm -hmm. So when you go and share that story, or, or in this case, show the story, if you're using visuals, do you need to have every last little thing be a visual? No. Yeah. Um, what you need to do is figure out what are the most important things that, you know, a jury needs to learn from you and what are the few, the fewest number of visuals um, that you can use to be effective in that manner. I love that a visuals person is saying this because I think attorneys think uh, we've, we've been taught, or at least in the last 10, 15 years in the trial consulting world and in the, and you know, the books that have come out that visuals are the way to go, right? Visuals are so important. And I would agree with that, that visuals are so important, but then I will have clients come through our studio classes, for example, and ahead of time, send me 154 point, uh, slide deck, 150 slides and a slide deck and a PowerPoint for a 20 minute opening. 
And I'm thinking, what the heck are you doing? This is just overkill. So I think we tend to go on the other side and go, oh, visuals are the way to go. Let me shove in as many as possible. And you know, in terms of the nonverbal piece, I always say to my attorneys, I said, look, the, the jurors can look only one place at one time. I don't know of anyone who's had been able to train their one eye on one thing and one eye on the other. Right? Mm. So it's yeah. one thing at a time. So they can either look at a visual or they can look at you. If your entire opening is visuals, you will have never made any kind of contact with the jury the entire time. It's got to be a balance between connection with them and getting and telling stories and then illustrating the story or clarifying a point with a visual. And it's a back and forth. Right. What, what would you say about that? I mean, we do a lot of slide decks for people. And what I always like to tell people a slide decks, whether you're using PowerPoint or some other tool to create your slides, is that you know, they don't have to be boring, um, but ultimately you don't want to put all your speaker's notes on the slides no. and have so many. I mean, you really want to just have sort of one slide, one issue, lots of images, and almost no text. Mm -hmm. So that it acts not as, a, as something that people need to be paying attention to so they don't miss anything. It just acts as sort of context for, for the presentation and, and the, you know, the you're giving a speech essentially well and, and you want them to pay attention to you exactly and i think that's why people uh, people being attorneys use the powerpoint and have so much on there because they use them as speakers notes right and so what i suggest to all my clients is to stop thinking you're gonna, ever going to memorize the whole thing and the flip side is not to put everything on your on your powerpoint the flip side is to recognize that you could talk about your case right now for three hours without notes you know that mm -hmm. i know that they know their cases they know them well they just just need to have the self-trust to believe that they can do it in front of a jury. So th it's a fear thing when they come in with, you know, 150 PowerPoints and text all over them because they're like, I'm going to forget what to say. I'm like, there's no way in the universe you're right. going to forget and what to say. And this is a really good link with some of the more recent podcasts that you put out because I feel like that issue of self-trust, it can be dramatically increased if you know that your case is really well understood yes. and you've got a great um, way to share that with the jury. Which really goes back to understanding it to begin with, which is where visuals come in. So, okay, I'm an attorney. I'm buying this. I'm listening to this. I'm thinking visuals are, I'm down with it. It's very old language there, but, um, why shouldn't I do this by myself, Joshua? Why do I need to hire you? I mean, can't I just do this on my own? Talk to me about that. Well, I think it's actually something we encourage is to, you know, how much, can you do on your own? Because I think if you, the more you can do, the better. Mm -hmm. I, I really encourage um, the folks that w we work with to you know use the timeline method to you know do the sticky notes on the wall before mm -hmm. the, before you give us stuff to spend a lot of money on having us lay it out fourteen different ways. Um, you know, can can they use um, the three D modeling software? Maybe not the same way we do, mm -hmm. but they can absolutely open this program called SketchUp that we use on their computer and, and and load up the model and click through the different tabs. I've got attorneys that uh, you know profess to be technophobes, but they still did it and they felt they felt good about it. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's really good to do as, as much as makes sense. But you know, on the on the other hand. Um, you know, you're, you're probably not sewing your own suits that you're going to wear to trial. Um, you know, you focus on what Let's you're really, not. I mean, I wouldn't, but, um, you know, so it's, you know, it's, it's like, it's, it's good to be able to know how to iron a shirt, but maybe you don't need to be a tailor to, mm -hmm. to, to be uh, mm -hmm. going, going to court. And which goes back to that time issue too. I mean, right. they're complaining they don't have time. So what they can absolutely do is, un, you know, under pressure, right. Um, a great brief or write a great response to a motion, right? Mm -hmm. I, you wouldn't want me to do that. I'm not trained to do that. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, when it comes to finding people that are, are really good with 
um, creating visual tools, you know, go ahead and get someone that is an expert at that. And then the other side of this piece is not just, you know, getting it done under pressure, but also bringing to the table ideas, which you might not have even know existed mm-hmm. and saying, this is, this is a way that you're going to be able to achieve some of your goals in this case. Yeah. Yeah. And as you and I talked about is that once you understand your case and once you can communicate it clearly, that's really where you get to be able to play with your nonverbal communication, which is what my expertise is, is that what I'm constantly seeing my clients stumble over is they can't get to the nonverbal. They can't think about how they're gesturing, or what their tone of voice sounds like, or how they're moving in the, in the courtroom when when they're not sure what they're saying, when they don't really know what their case very well, when they can't communicate it. And so I think professionals like you and I and others that are like us work together to support the attorney in kind of filling on all those gaps so that they can be out there and communicating the best version of themselves that they can. And so uh, visuals play a huge part in that. What else do our attorneys need to know about visuals before we tell them how to um, get a hold of you and what you offer? I think that, you know, it's just a a really great opportunity to explore, you know, the core of the story. Yeah. And I, I know that, you know, you've probably mentioned Jerry Spence's uh, name before in his yeah, podcast. Sure. You know, it's, you know, he's a, he's an inspiration for a lot of attorneys. Uh, one of the things that struck me about his work is the um, desire to really be inside of the case, even to mm-hmm. the point of going and, you know, sleeping in the bed of, of, uh, you know, uh, on behalf of his client of the, of, of a, you know, a child that died and, mm-hmm. and, and really sitting with a client and, and saying, you know, put yourself there. Imagine you're there. Now you're in this place. Let's talk about what you see, mm-hmm. you know, getting them in the present and, and visuals are a way to do that. They, yeah. they really break down some of the, um, how would you call it? The, uh, abstraction that's often used when people use lingo and you know, mm-hmm. talk in, in, in technical terms about a case and, and just just focus on what what do we really see and I'll, I'll tell you a story about this that I think is um, encapsulates the, the, the value pretty well we had a, a criminal case in which the um, the client we were working for the defense uh, the client was a uh, native Spanish speaker didn't speak any English and so you know, there's, there's a lot to talk about this uh, case that, you know, was difficult even from the start because they had to have a translator, you know, for the attorney. And, you know, I was able to um, go with the attorney and this uh, investigator that was translating to um, the, the jail where this client was being held. And we brought a, a digital model of the scene of that incident. And then just started looking at it in real time from different perspectives and moving things around and now the um, the client is able to not like struggle for words to explain things that would then perhaps get mistranslated or misunderstood. Mm-hmm. You could just point, right? Yeah. I was here. He was over there. And, you know, and, and even just seeing um, these things allows the attorneys to sort of re- realize, oh, maybe I better ask about this. You know, this didn't, didn't, didn't occur to me before, but what about this, you know, this, uh, stove potentially being on or you know there's all these questions that can come up with the case that you might not have thought about when you didn't see the picture of the scene right there in front of you that's uh, so true I mean, so a that, picture literally is worth a thousand words right and and so there's there's it's it's really enlightening um to use visuals and, and i will say that um when we you know work with an attorney for the first time who's not familiar with what we do there's usually this moment of excitement where they, they think wow, this is, this is my case. Mm-hmm. I can really do a lot more now than I could before because I've yeah. got this tool. Yeah. And that's, 
it's a, a great part of our job. We love it. Absolutely. So what we want our attorneys to take away from today is yes, use visuals. I think they know that, but I think what we've hopefully helped illuminate is that visuals aren't the end. They aren't the icing on the cake. They really are fundamental. It's what can help you think through your case, see angles you hadn't seen before. And not only that, working with someone like you can help you decide what visuals to use and how many, because we can get into trouble there as well. How can people um, learn more about you and get to know you a little better and maybe check you out? And you work outside of Oregon, I'm assuming? Yeah, we do a, a, a lot. I say majority of our work in the Pacific Northwest primarily because that's where we know more people mm -hmm. but we've also worked all over the country so mm -hmm. we've done cases in nevada we've done cases in pennsylvania um, arizona i mean just wherever we we meet people that um, are interested in doing this kind of work we can make that, that happen and primarily because the technology has uh, gotten to the point with um with screen sharing and video conferencing primarily we use, we use screen sharing during conference calls so that we can be looking at the same, the same thing while we while we have a discussion about a case great and as far as learning more about fat pencil studio I, i'd love it if people just checked out the website for starters mm -hmm. um you know fat pencil studio is f-a-t-p-e-n-c-i-l-s-t-u-d-i-o no yeah no and uh yeah you go to the website there's a really great summary of the kinds of things that we were talking about if you if you hit the uh, about you um, page from the drop downs, or just go to fatpencilstudio.com slash you, mm -hmm. Y-O-U. And that just, uh, that's just a starting point. We have lots of examples on there and I'd be happy to, to talk to anyone who's, who's interested in learning more or, or potentially uh, working on a case together. Wonderful. So that's fatpencilstudio.com. You got it. Okay. Thanks for being with us today, Joshua. Thank you, Sari, so much. It's a pleasure. Yeah. And for our listeners, if you have not joined our From Hostage to uh, From Hostage to Hero, I should say, Facebook group, you can go to Facebook and do that, where we've got um, a bunch of different experts in there weighing in. And in addition to myself, I go live on Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. Um, from Hostage to Hero on Facebook.com. And our um book is going to be coming out in the fall, I understand, from Trial Guides. If not the fall, they said definitely by the end of the year, so we will let you know about that. Thanks so much for being with us. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, everybody. That's it for this episode of From Hostage to Hero. But head to our website, sorrydlm.com, for other must-have resources from Sorry Delamart. Read the transcript of this podcast, watch trial tip videos, or download your free copy of Sari's article, Why Jurors Hate the Hobby Question. We're glad you joined us today, and until next time, remember that to lead a hostage to freedom, you must first free yourself.